If you would open your Bibles, please, to James chapter 3, verse 5. James 3, verse 5. It's been four weeks since I've been uh, in the book of James together with you. We had two weeks where I was gone to uh, Nicaragua, and then last week we had a message on the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. And uh, four weeks ago, though, we began James chapter 3. And it began with this warning not to be clamoring for the title of teacher or rabbi, not to be clamoring for the position of teacher or rabbi. It was a very uh, highly regarded and sought-after position in the Jewish community and in the early church. The caution on not seeking to be many uh, rabbis or teachers centered on the use of the tongue and the difficulty all human beings have of controlling their tongues. Now, you might think, well, God, since I'm a pastor and I have to get up and use my tongue for an extended amount of time every week, that really you can cut me some slack because mistakes are going to happen. I'm only human. And yet the Bible seems to go in exactly the opposite direction. And we saw this with the sons of Aaron when the, the tabernacle had first been established in tabernacle worship and uh, fire was to be taken from one spot and used for another spot. And they used unauthorized fire. And it, and it seems to be something as simple as getting the fire from the wrong location. I know the term strange fire is in some uh, interpretations, and, and, and they think it maybe was something uh, idolatrous, but, but there's no clear indication that it was idolatrous. It just seems like they maybe did things differently, not according to God's plan, but according to their own plan, and they were killed for it. And God said this, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. So if you're going to be a teacher, and you're going to use your tongue, Before the people of God, you had better be prepared to be judged severely. And that was James's point. And and he talked about how a a tongue is such a small entity, and yet it can direct such a large concern. And he used the illustration of a bit with a horse. Or a, a rudder with a ship. A small rudder directs a large ship. And I think what he was getting at was that a tongue can get up in front of a congregation and misrepresent the Word of God and direct in a foul direction an entire body of believers. And you better believe that is going to be judged. So as you get up to preach the Word of God or to teach the Word of God, you have this great warning about the use of the tongue and the carefulness to be in line with God's will, God's Word, His revealed Word. Well, he's going to continue with this as he talks about how small the tongue is, and he's going to liken it to a fire. If you would join with me in verse number 5, he says, So also, I'm in James chapter 3, verse number 5, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest fire is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and a bird and of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth 
come blessings and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's pray. Lord, as we study this word about our tongues, God, uh, we all use our tongue, we all communicate. And Father, the truth will out. Our tongues betray us. They are a restless evil, ever ready to reveal what's in our hearts. And God, what's in our hearts and what's in our minds is oftentimes very dark, very sinful. God, you are our hope at controlling our tongue, not just controlling our tongue, but changing the inner man so that when the tongue lets fly, the truth that outs is a glorious truth of redemption, of sanctification. God, we pray that you would change us in the inner man, and we pray, Father, that our tongues would be brought under control so that we bring nourishment to this body and not evil and destruction. We ask in Jesus' name. As we study, if you want to follow along in the outline, you can. Your tongue can be a small spark that burns down a great forest. It is a world of unrighteousness that can stain your whole body in verses 5 and 6. So also the tongue is a small member, verse 5, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. That is a very negative series of statements about the human tongue. How can these things be? You, this morning, have washed your bodies. Either last night or this morning, you've adorned your bodies, you've prepared your bodies. Maybe you've taken really, really good care of your bodies this week through careful diet, careful exercise. And spiritually, perhaps you have been endeavoring to, to, um, to, to, to live with some degree of spiritual purity. But the fact is, your tongue this morning could undo all of that. You could, in the foyer after church, utter words that could stain you for life. You could blast some words that define you as evil, no matter, else, no matter what else you have done, no matter what else you will do, words this morning can totally defile your reputation in the eyes of all who know you. They stain the whole body. They stain the whole soul. You could utter words of unwanted sexual overture towards someone, and they would never look at you the same again. And you say, well, can't they forgive me? Well, yeah, from afar. (laughs) But when you go there with your words, your reputation is done. You could utter words of gossip in that foyer this morning that that could really tear at somebody's reputation, but would really tell us more about you than about them. Because you would not only utter the words of the gossip, but you'd probably enjoy doing so. And we would not look at you the same. You could let fly with words of angry and bitter criticism at someone in the foyer this morning. And you could do it at that temple that you've rehearsed in the car when you're alone. And we would have never have seen that side of you before. And your entire body, your entire reputation, your entire life would be stained. 
this morning by such words. What cannot be seen in our English translations, but we can relate to, is the word small and great in verse number 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. That's the same word, great and small, in the original language. It's like our word extreme. If I say, man, politically, he's extreme. Okay, that could be extreme left, extreme right. Okay, in terms of size, man, this is really extreme. It could be extremely small or extremely large. And what it's saying here, behold how extreme the difference. Such a small organ of the human body and what it can do. A tongue in, somewhere in the world today could start World War III, theoretically. It is a wonder at the extreme smallness of the tongue versus the extreme damage it can wave. Jesus said this in Matthew 15, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person, the whole body. He continues, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, Theft, false witness, slander. It's quite the vice list out of our Lord. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. What makes the tongue so powerful is that it springs from your inner soul. It tells us who you are. And if God is not sanctifying you, your inner man is not good. Your inner woman is not good. James adds that the tongue gets its destructive power from hell. Uh, if you look at verse number 6, it says, uh, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. What, what does that mean for it to be set on fire by hell? The word there is Gehenna. It refers, refers to the valley of Hinoam uh, in, in, uh, in, in, in Israel, in Jerusalem. It was a place of burning trash. And, and let's just have a quick geography lesson for Israel, inter, the, the, the old city Israel. Uh, you had the north. I happen to be in the direction of north. That's south. In the north, just like this platform, that was the high part of the city. And, and everything went downhill from there toward the south. And, and so the rich people, and with, with antiquities and septic systems, I think, is part of it. The septic went down the center of the street. I, I think the rich people always in these cities lived uphill. And, uh, and I'm sure they had lime and many ways to control that trench and the smells coming from it in the center of the street. But it did rain two seasons a year there. And so they, you know, they, there would be just simply the smell of the city. And, and the, the poor people would live toward the south in Jerusalem, downhill. And the Valley of Hanoam was all the way south and a little bit to the west. It was outside the city gates where the poor people lived. And that's where you burned your refuse. That's where you burned your trash. If you had a criminal and you needed to dispose of the body or a vagabond, some would say, you know, that nobody's going to pay for a tomb, you would burn that body outside the city in the Valley of Hanoam. Additionally, it was the place of child sacrifice um, at, at, at different seasons in Jerusalem's history. Listen to Jeremiah 32, 35. They built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinoam to offer up their sons and daughters to Molech. And, and so the, 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 the child sacrifices. By the way, do you notice the conflict there? They built their high places in the valley of 
Hinnom. Uh, high places were typically up on a hill. Place, I mean, it's a high place in the sense you build an altar, so yeah, you've got three feet of highness, four feet of highness. But they built this high place in the valley. Why? Uh, because this is a place where you went to burn babies. And yes, they were worshiping Molech. But, but what you'll find with, with pagan worship is it's man doing what man wants to do and inventing a deity to justify his actions. That, that's why you have such things as temple prostitutes in, in pagan worship. And that's why when you go to places of child sacrifice to false gods, if you do archaeological digs, you will find a disproportionate number of females and disformed uh, skeletons from babies. In fact, in some digs, you'll find nothing but females and deformed skeletons uh, in these digs. And so what you have basically is an abortion clinic done in the name of Molech. And where are you going to do that? Are you going to really go up on a hill and do this awful thing? No, you're going to go down in a valley. And, and so, so this, this Valley of Hinoam, it's a place of burning. It's a place of, of, uh, of, of just the worst uh, that you can imagine. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a metaphor for hell itself. Now, it's set on fire from hell. Hell is a place. It's not a person. It doesn't have a personality. When it says it's set on fire from hell, what is hell being used as a metaphor of or who? Well, it's being used as a metaphor of Satan. Satan is the chief the chief occupant of hell for all of eternity. And I don't say that in the sense that he's going to rule hell. I say that in the sense that hell was designed to punish Satan uh, uh, above any and all else. Uh, so it's, it's his domicile. It's where he's going to be uh, for all of eternity. And so when, when this says it's set on fire of hell, it's saying that the tongue is satanically influenced. Satan wants your tongue this morning. He wants you to talk like the world. He doesn't want you to talk about truth the way God talks about truth. He wants to influence you through entertainments, through music, through social media influencers. And what a perfect, perfect title we have for this wonderful industry of influencers. But they are influencers, and many of them want to lead your tongue to talk like Satan, to say things, to approach topics of truth the way Satan approaches topics of truth and error. So the tongue is set on fire of hell, and it's described as a world of iniquity set among our members in a powerful manner. Why is the tongue so powerful? It works in both directions. You can utter words to your spouse this morning that could totally undo your relationship as you know it today for the rest of your life. They can forgive you, but you can never undo those words. Yet your tongue is supposed to be an instrument of healing and love because you are a child of God. God is a God of order, a God of mercy, a God of love, and he, he imparted these, these, these uh, attributes to you. These are communicable attributes of deity that are given to mankind, the ability to love, the ab ability to heal someone's soul. Your tongue can do that. So it's powerful. It's powerful in both directions. But this is a warning that, that to the degree you are not sanctified, your tongue will not be used for love. It will not be used for healing. It will be used to tear people apart right down to their souls. And in that process, you're identifying who and what you are. An agent of Satan working harm. So the tongue is powerful in both directions. That's why Satan wants your tongue. 
This is the whole point in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 with teachers. Don't, don't strive to be many teachers knowing that we shall receive the greater judgment. Why? Because we use our tongue. And to the degree we depart from this word, we could lead into a world of iniquity. Be very, very careful. And really it all comes down to the heart behind the tongue. Man's ability to control wild animals has not been matched with any ability to control the human tongue. We control all sorts of animals. We have controlled, and we do today control all sorts of animals. But the tongue can no man control. Look at verse 7 and 8. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Now, when the Bible says all, it can mean all without distinction or all without exception. Uh, and, and, and so if we say all of Pine Island showed up for the Cheese Fest parade, I don't mean there's nobody who stayed home. I just simply mean all without distinction, all manner, right? Not all without exception. So when we sit here and we look at a verse like that, it says, wait a minute. That says we have tamed all manner of beasts. When, in fact, we don't even know all the species that exist. Well, you know, don't get over nerdy on that. Uh, You're not even using the language the way we use language. But it does mean all without exception have been tamed. Now, the word tamed also. Don't don't misunderstand the word tamed. When I see tamed, I first think of my dog and my cat and cuddling up and enjoying their warmth. Uh, That's not what the word means. It was used of a demoniac in in, uh, Matthew... um, uh, which, which gospel was that? In Mark 5, of a demoniac, who, he was in chains, and he'd break the chains, and nobody could tame him. Well, people weren't wanting to cuddle with this guy. They were trying to bring him under control. And that is the word, control, to bring something under control, to reduce from a, uh, an uncontrolled to a controlled state, to subdue, to tame. Tom Peterson, you have uh, snakes. You have a snake collection. You're going to schools like tomorrow, right? You went Friday and you're going again tomorrow to teach about, sir, about uh, uh, reptiles. And so he has a collection of snakes. In the sense of this word, they are very much under control this morning, right? Yeah, and, and so it, it, that's not to say without exception that, that they're always under control, uh, but uh, this morning they are very much under control, and, and that's what this says. All kinds of beasts. We've, we've had whales in captivity. We've had sharks. All manner of beasts have been brought under control by mankind, but the tongue, the tongue, no one's brought it under control, no human being. In verse 8, it's called a restless evil. It says, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I think that's the idea of serpents right there. Uh, the tongue is full of deadly poison like a, like a serpent. But, um, but a restless evil, what does that phrase restless evil mean? Best case, best case interpretation is that there's an instability to our tongues. That, that there are these tongues are these organs that are here and, and they just... They don't know when to shut up, and, and they utter things that they shouldn't, and, and they reveal things from the inner pollution of our inner man that, they, that, that we wish they wouldn't. So the best-case scenario is your tongue is uh, a source of instability. The worst-case interpretation of this is that your tongue is a wild animal continually trying to break out of control. So it's somewhere between there. It's either unstable <laughs> or it's out to get you, okay? It's out to destroy you. So ask yourself, how quickly do you slide into gossip with the tongue? 
how quickly do you not just tell other people's news, but you enjoy it? And I'm talking about the things that you would say that if they walked in in the middle of your sentence, you would turn red face, okay? I'm, I'm talking about things that you don't talk this way about them when they're in the room. You're telling other people things about them that you've never told them about themselves. How quickly do you slide into coarse jesting with the tongue? You get around the right people in the right environment, and there it goes. I mean, you just, and you enjoy it. How quickly do you slide into angry and bitter words? What just triggers you so quickly? And the tongue is a wild beast that devours people around you. And you're so good at it, they wouldn't dare answer back. How quickly do you slide into boasting about yourself and how good you are, how clever you were back there when you did this or that, or how clever your children are, or how good they are, or how wealthy you are? How quickly do you slide with your tongue into boasting? At the very least, your tongue and my tongue vacillates between good and evil. At the worst, it's trying to break out of control at every moment. When James says it's full of deadly poison, he's viewing you and me as serpents, as vipers with fangs, who may not strike often, but when we do, it's deadly. This is a matter for lifelong, continual vigilance. You have to watch your tongue. You can ruin someone in a moment. Let's go to here to point three as we understand this. If your tongue is to become the consistent source of nourishment that God wants it to be, you must allow God to sanctify your inner person. Verses 9 through 12, he's going to chide us about the, 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 the blended heart that we have and the need to have a pure heart. He says, with it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The same people who bless God on Sunday morning curse man on Sunday afternoon or on Monday morning who are made in the image of God. And that's, that's the point that on mankind there is a holiness set upon mankind. Everyone you know is made in the image of God. Whether they're a Christian, whether they're not, they're made in the image of God. And that puts a certain amount of holiness on their lives. This is why Christians do not countenance abortion. Uh, we have a law now that on one side of the flesh, it's not a human being. And if it slips out 30 seconds later, it is a human being. And Christians do not countenance that. We say that is a human being on both sides of the womb. And... It's made in the image of God, therefore we cannot kill it. Same with euthanasia of old people, even in pain, even begging to be put out of their misery. There's a holiness that, that causes a Christian to say, no, I cannot do that. I have to leave this holy life in the hands of God. Do... Does our treatment of people match up to our politics? 
You know, we say that a baby is born in the image of God and therefore it's holy. Do we treat our neighbor, our unsaved neighbor, as if they are made in the image of God, therefore they are holy, therefore they are to be talked about in reverent, godly ways? I've been in business and I've been in life long enough. I know you have to share information about bad actors, right? I mean, uh, th- 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 that, but, but, but when you're sharing bad, uh, bad information and you're just making sport of it, you're just enjoying it, that's something entirely different. Or you're telling the story in a point, uh, at a time when it's pointless. There's no need to be telling the story. You're not protecting anybody. You're not helping the situation. You're not changing the situation. You're just telling the story because you like telling war stories. But it's gossip about another human being. Figs, olives, and grapes. The most common Mediterranean crops. Everybody would have understood that you don't go to a grapevine and pick figs. I want you to note that when it talks about the fig tree producing figs, when it talks about the freshwater spring producing fresh water, what James is saying is uh, your life needs to be consistent. It needs to be pure. Uh, You need to be that fresh spring of water that is always producing what is good, what is helpful. And, And look at verse number 14. Uh, for next week, we're going to be in verse number 14. But if you have bitterness and jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do you see that? In your hearts. Uh, the, the fighting is becoming because there's a heart problem. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? It is the inner man issues that is causing the tongue to reveal the evil. And so our hope and our prayer is for sanctification. The fruit tree brings fruit after its kind. You will bring fruit after your kind spiritually. You need to be a different kind. You need to be pure. You need to be fresh. You need to be wholesome here so that the fruit you bring with your tongue is good. If your heart is pure, the truth will out. Purity and love will come forth from that tongue. Matthew 15, verse 11. Again, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. But it's what comes out of the mouth. This is what defiles a person. Uh, He uses this illustration of fresh water. If you go to ancient cities throughout Israel, if you go to these these tells, what you will always find underneath the tells is some some source of fresh water. I've got um, Ruth and Wayne right here walking through Hezekiah's tunnel. Um, This is is underneath the city of, of Jerusalem. And, and one of these fresh springs still runs today. It runs knee-deep, sometimes thigh-deep, which can be a problem. You know, your shorts are wet for the rest of the day when you're hiking around. But um, it's, uh, you can walk through. It's fresh water that, that, that supplied an entire city. In, in the um, uh, city of Megiddo, which would be up in the Jezreel Valley, uh, this is where Harmageddon, the hill of Megiddo is, and uh, there was a city there. And this is a tunnel. You, you'd go down. There was this silo about 30 feet in diameter. And you walk down these steps all around this silo. Then you walk down through this tunnel. And then you came to this little scummy pond that no longer flows with water the way it did back when the city of Megiddo was founded. But there was a day in which this gushed with fresh spring water. Now, the point is this. How would the city of Megiddo out there fare if that spring of water for three months gave out salt water, undrinkable, uh, something that would not hydrate you, would dry you up as you drank it. How would the city fare? It would not fare well at all. 
As a child of God, Cornerstone Baptist Church needs you to show up being a fresh spring of water. Someone who heals with your tongue. Someone who ministers with your tongue. Someone who shows mercy and grace. We cannot be blessing God one moment and cursing our brother the next. See, God does not speak audibly to members of Cornerstone Baptist Church. I know there's some other denominations who teach, oh yeah, God speaks to me audibly. And the pastor gets up and says, well, you know, God told me this this week. I walked with God in the garden and I heard him say this and I heard him say that. God doesn't do that for Cornerstone Baptist Church members. <laughs> I think that that's, a, that's just a, a doctrinal fact no matter what church you're in. God does not speak in an audible voice. He has a written word. And this written word is our source and authority for truth. But what does he have for your situation and your hardship this week? He has truth, but you need to hear a voice of mercy and compassion. And, and, and that's why God has given you fellow members in the church, people to come into your life. Uh, God does not come and cook meals for people who are sick or are recuperating from a surgery. He doesn't show up in our kitchen and cook the meals. He has the members of Cornerstone Baptist Church do that. For you to deviate from ministering life to this congregation and instead inflict death with your tongue, James concludes with this in verse number 10, uh, these things ought not to be so. These things ought not to be so. And, and for verse 12, um, uh, just read that one more time. He says, Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine uh, produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You and I sometimes want to rationalize this and say, Well, you know, sometimes my tongue gets the better of me. But I'm faithful in many, many areas within this church. Jesus would say to you this, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So here you are with all of your words and they are thorns and thistles and this is supposed to be, happens to all of us, whoever had the phone, happens to all of us, it's fine. So it wasn't me, I'm just glad. So um, the... Um, Jesus said, are, gra are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So is Cornerstone Baptist Church supposed to reach into this clump of thorns to get our grapes? This gossip, this, this harsh rhetoric? Don't put us through that. Fear God. And remember what he said, I will be sanctified by those who are close to me. If you have the name of Jesus Christ, there is a higher accountability for you. If you are teaching, ministering, entrusted with any responsibilities in this church, there is an even yet higher accountability for how you use your tongue. Don't put us, don't put your family through having to reach into thorns and thistles to get our grapes and to get our figs. As James said, these things ought not to be so. The human tongue is a wild animal that no man can tame because the human tongue is a reflection of the inner man. Its control is a matter of personal sanctification. The good news for you and me today is that God is here to sanctify us and by doing so to sanctify our tongues. Your, your tongue will reveal who you are. There's no controlling that. 
So let God change who you are, sanctify you, and thus sanctify your tongue. What ways specifically can you be watching your tongue this morning? Coarse jesting that leads to a normalizing of matters that are not pure, as if impurity should be a topic of conversation on a Christian tongue. Expressions of anger and bitterness where you hurt people with your words. Boasting of self in its many forms because you are full of yourself and centered on yourself. Or carelessly teaching your own clever takes on the Bible that are not consistent with God, His character, and His word. Let's pray that God would cleanse our tongues as a congregation. Let's pray and then I'll ask the deacons to come for the Lord's table. Father, we love you and God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we love you because you are a creator and you are good through and through. We love you because you've revealed yourself to us in nature. You've revealed yourself to us in your word. And uh, Father, we thank you that uh, we have this revelation of you today, that you are the one who sanctifies us, that you are the one who can bring control to our tongues. Please do so. Please be honored as we seek to remember our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ at this time. In Jesus' name, amen.